When it comes to action heroes, there are two that stick out. James Bond and Indiana Jones, the sly and suave agent of MI6, and the gruff and pragmatic archaeologist of It Belongs in a Museum. But what if I told you that one of these characters completely hinges on the other, and that if things played out just slightly different, there would be no indie at all? Today we go through the history of both these heroes to explore precisely that on this episode of The Return of the Movie. Hello and welcome everyone. We're here at the return of the movie and as you can tell we're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and James Bond and how they are connected and how all of that happened and all these turns of events. But first I'm going to introduce the panelists for today. Before us we have... Is this the right... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. I was fantasizing about long walks on the beach. My name is Matt and I'm here to talk about guys who are much cooler than I am. And I'm Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Matt. No, we're leaving that in. That I'm not redoing anything. That's leaving that in. Matt has to I, live with that. Yeah, I, I love how like we're starting the podcast with as much energy as possible. And then like, hey, you know what? Let's just kill it right off the bat. <laughs> Y'all don't want to hear about that. Y'all want to hear about Indiana Jones and James Bond. Regardless, there's a couple things to go over um and this idea was actually originally pitched by you alex and um matt and i had zero fucking idea about any of this so we've just been doing research for the last week um how did this originally come to your radar like was this just like a thing you heard in passing um i think i was looking at um movie adaptations from books and obviously James Bond came up and for some reason I thought Indiana Jones was based on a book and I realized it isn't but it is kind of like born out of James Bond the whole idea behind James Bond so I thought that was super interesting so everything's just derivative is what I'm getting from this yeah so I think now let's start at the beginning of this new timeline to start out with, the earliest version of what this is from, again, is the Pulp Fiction magazines. Um, it, in it, 19, it, excuse me, in 1896 is when the first issues started coming out, and these would eventually grow to be extremely popular and where a lot of our popular media comes from. All of the staple horror that you can think of originally came from these, as well as inspiration for almost all of the serial television shows including a lot of the stylistic stuff that we would see in, like, even the early Batman TV show. They were also known to be extremely exploitative, um, which is something that we don't really see in often discussion about them. Even at the time, these pieces of media were criticized for um, sort of exploiting, essentially kind of a modern conversation, exploiting trauma and exploiting um, mental health issues throughout a lot of their pieces of fiction. Well, with, um, with uh, early Pulp Fiction, the novels came out, the early, the, like the magazine started coming out in what, ni- 1896 from what you saw, yes. right? Um, but before then we had uh, books that were in serialized format. So like with the horror genre, especially it was uh, Penny Dreadfuls. And mm. lots of novels were serialized at the time. So. Have you ever, if you've ever read like the original Bram Stoker's Dracula, it's, it was released one chapter at a time and it was kind of like almost in a quote unquote found footage format in that it's diary entries or newspaper clippings or people's 
um, various um, yeah. entries and personal journeys being released piecemeal. Um, and so there was definitely a, a very serialized version of storytelling that you got here. Um, the Western genre also came heavily from this with dime store novels. Um, and so like what a lot of what we today think of the old west as kind of comes from these novels instead of like how the west actually was yeah and then that would eventually be uh translated into spaghetti westerns which is also something that i think we see pretty uh, as a pretty heavy influence within the actual uh indiana jones films as well for sure so then I guess after that we're gonna go into the fir- into one of the more televised hokey pieces of note, uh, Flash Gordon as a series. So Flash Gordon was kind of like the space adventure serial that came out in the 1930s, and it was released as different episodes. And this is kind of where Star Wars comes from because George Lucas wanted to just initially adapt Flash Gordon, couldn't get the rights to it. Um, and so the entire reason why Star Wars was called Episode Four at the original title for um, was because he just wanted to kind of a callback to show that this isn't the only adventure in this story. Episode Four wasn't really initially intended as uh, well. Episode Four of a nine or twenty part saga, or however many they plan on making now, um, it was kind of just a, an ode to that era, almost. Um, I do love too Flash Gordon on the Wikipedia page. It's described as a space opera, which the definition is a subgenre of science fiction that emphasizes science fictional space warfare with use of melodramatic, risk taking space adventure and chivalric romance. I... Set mainly in outer space. I love that they're like, oh yeah, the space opera, it's mainly set in outer space. Oh, thanks. Okay, so the, this would be the next thing on this timeline. So Flash Gordon is the most. Um, prevalent serial to talk about here. There's others, and it's like they would get released as kind of almost episodes in movie theaters that people would go to and watch. So a lot of these weren't even broadcast over television, they were just projected in theaters. So what happened in 1939? What was happening in the world at that time? Because I haven't discussed World War II on this channel enough, see my come and see video. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Ian Fleming was someone who joined in with the Royal Navy as an intelligence officer, and he remained in that role for several years. Um, He even had a hand in Operation Mincemeat, if you guys know what that is. Uh, Explain, because I genuinely don't know. It was one of the many um, intelligence... Um, operations that were intended on deceiving the Germans. So the intelligence the the intelligence community had some of the most pivotal actions in the war including tricking the Germans so badly with the Normandy landings in 1944 that even after the Normandy landings happened, the Germans were still waiting for a bigger invasion at a different point in the year. Oh shit, okay. That's the he was also involved with uh, Operation Goldeneye, which I, I didn't know that was an actual, like he pulled that name from an actual uh, operation, I guess. That feels illegal. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to say it. That feels illegal. It feels like he well, wasn't was allowed to do Goldeneye. that. I, I loved when I was researching his personal life. There's just like affair after affair after affair after affair and it's like okay so this guy legitimately was james bond um that explains a lot of the stuff that does not age well when we start going into the early sean connery stuff uh man talk 
it checks out. So essentially, this is one of the things that made Bond such a big deal. Like a lot of people felt like it was also informative when they would read these books is like, oh, this is an actual spy that's writing these. But at the same time, these are extremely hokey pieces of media. Well, it's uh, it's also one thing to consider with with this is that Casino Royale came out in 1952. Um, the Russians got the atomic bomb in 1948, I think. It was, what, 48, 1950, one of those two. And then um, right around the same time, China falls to communism, and then the Korean War starts, all of which involved the UK almost as much as it involved America. And so there was a, there's a lot of pieces of media at this point that dealt with spying Russian sleeper agents. So, like Manchurian Candidate is a very good example of this. Um, and so the Cold War was kind of a uh, pall over everybody's minds constantly for about 40 years. And this was like the 1960s when these movies were getting made was like absolute peak of it. But it almost feels like there's almost a satirical element to some of these movies, doesn't there? I would say so from Russia with Love, it, you can definitely feel the satire and uh, from russia with love it's a great movie it's also very silly at times there's i some of the reviews for dr no are so funny time magazine called von a blithering bounder and a great big hairy marshmallow who almost always manages to seem slightly silly which is hairy marshmallow just 1950s for bear I, I don't know. Yeah, let's bring that terminology back. Oh, he's a hairy marshmallow. He's a hairy marshmallow. I'm a great s- big hairy marshmallow. I, I um, don't know and then, about it. Yeah, somebody, another review said that they'll never decide whether it is suspense or suspense food. Speaks to the Cold War climate, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, because, like, the, the interesting thing with Bond is that Bond kind of changes with the political climate of the times. Um, so the other example is that when we see the post 9-11 Bond films, i.e. the Daniel Craig ones. As far as everyone is concerned, the only Bond that is like the true Bond, the true person that you think of is Sean Connery. And then, yeah, just four years after this, the final film comes out, You Only Live Twice, which is where it completely goes off book, or at least begins the process of it. So... This is when we start diverging from everything that was written previously by Ethan Fleming. And I think that this is the moment where Bond is actually able to more accurately represent shifts in political climate. Because you can't stay locked into a bunch of books that were written in the 1950s. Yeah, like for instance, um, Octopussy. (laughs) <laughs> While mostly an original screenplay, uh, they take that from is from a short story. Well, I think the short story title is Octopussy and the Living Daylight. So, Living Daylights is also another uh, James Bond movie. But that sounds like a bad name from the sixties. I kind of love it. Like that, that, which brings up the point. It was <laughs> the sixties, and we were having a debate. Well, kind of less of a debate, more of a general question of like, was pussy just not used in that terminology? Mm, in but the octopussy 60s? came out in nineteen eighty-three, and I'm, 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 you know, fairly sure. I wasn't born, but I'm fairly certain it was uh, used as slang for vagina in nineteen eighty-three. As this happens, uh, George Lucas is now going to be pitching a, a film serial idea to Philip Kaufman that has to do with a, I believe, a western. From what I originally read about this 
but instead he got it shelved it and he ends up making star wars so the story with um this point in time is that george lucas was so terrified of the reception star wars was gonna get maybe he just had a glimpse of what the families would be like in the future um that he went to hawaii skipped the movie premiere and was just on vacation and i think it was maui and Spielberg happened to be spending time at the same resort because he had just done uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And so he wanted to take a break. And so the two of them were hanging out on the beach together. And Lucas told him about this idea that he called for a man named Indiana Smith. At that point, I've also read that George Lu- that once it was actually handed over to Spielberg, they had a fucking argument about Indiana Smith slash Jones's name. And eventually George Lucas just succeeded because he gave the film to his buddy Spielberg. Spielberg really wanted to make a James Bond film. And you can kind of see this in a couple very good ways and also a couple unfortunate ways. Um, so I'm going to bring up a little uh, a little piece of gross trivia for everyone. Um, the original spitballing idea for when they were going to be doing... Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they wanted to go into the actual um, character of Marion, Indy's first love interest. Um, Originally, the age gap, the original idea was that they would have been romantically involved about 10 years ago. And originally, the idea was that the character Marion would have been 12 at the time. And apparently, the idea was this was just because it amused Spielberg. Um... Now, there's no evidence that Bond has been a pedophile, but this is a not very fun slice of pie. There, There is plenty of stuff from Bond that does not age well. Um, there's a moment where I believe he just, it, I believe it was Russian Love, where he just slaps a woman for uh, interrupting him while he's on the phone. If I there, rem- There's literally just like blatant misogyny non-fucking-stop in James Bond. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, you can look back. Some Look, some of it is legitimately funny, um, and I think it's like a... Uh, some of it's funny, some of it's horrible. You can watch them and be the judge. Again, uh, you know, somebody who isn't Sean Connery, some of it might be... See- might be received way worse if it wasn't somebody as like charming and adorable. It also doesn't help that it also doesn't help that Sean Connery has some real life um, troubles with that kind of thing. Uh, Again, this is uh, this is something that was made in the early sixties, so you're coming out of the nineteen fifties on that character. Just yep, just just how it was, just how it was back then. Yeah, you just you just used to slap woman. In all sorts of places, because it was considered, you know, what you did as a man, which, like... And you say, shush, you're yep. only here for sex. <laughs> Nothing else. Please, no words. And they would go, oh, okay. Okay. It's okay. fine. My I get back in the door. <laughs> <laughs> There's kind of like an interview where they say, oh, oh, we, like, I didn't think... It was an explicitly sexual relationship between Marion and Indiana Jones, like ten years before. But it was so. So that either means they didn't talk about it, like no. what the whole background of the character was, which I find well suspicious. The Hold on one second, Paco. Stop. 
Paco doesn't approve. Or it, they did talk about it, and maybe she was like, no, we didn't talk about it. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. George Lucas has never done anything wrong. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> again, this is very upsetting. I should also state that that interview was with uh, Karen Allen, who was the actual actress who played this character. Um, and orig- at least, so this storyline did get shelved, but it is hinted at. However, they changed the aging. So the way that they changed the aging for the final film was that someone must have talked to them and talked to them out of this, I hope. Uh, because they changed the aging to uh, from her being 12 to 16 and Indiana Jones being 26. So there's a 10-year age gap better but very not good still like we're still at grooming a teenager kind of level um and yeah but now it's more call me by your name and less lolita but yes (laughs) yep still 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 no bueno i feel like there was a lot of that in hollywood at the time oh yeah no like like, this is something that like was kind of normalized in a lot of media um so I think at the time, no one just batted an eye at it, but the dialogue still stayed in there to at least hint at it. And Karen Allen stated that uh, she believed that, like, oh, maybe they had just kissed, or maybe she was romantically interested in him, but it was unrequited love, and we're... You watch that scene, and it's like, no, you're... That's not how that goes down. And also, like, that's not how the scene is played. It's not how the actors play that scene. Um, no, it yeah. like she she slaps she either slaps or punches him. I forget in the bar, and then is immediately being like, "You're a predator," um, and he's like, "But it's okay." I mean, she does like say the words, ago. "I was a child," which I think, like, look, I, anybody under the age of twenty three to me is a child. So, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I can I can de- I definitely can see like. I don't think she was saying she was literally a child. I think she meant like she was very young um, and like in a child, like not exposed to a lot of like the ways of love. The other thing is like, you can kind of still see this um, throughout the actual, uh, throughout the actual film. So Raider of the Lost Arcs, that's like its main offender. Um, But through the actual character creation, like there were other things that just, they thankfully scrapped but you could kind of tell that Spielberg kind of wanted Spielberg and Lucas just kind of wanted to go in like 20 different directions there was a point where they wanted him to also be a master at kung fu which <laughs> bleeds into the orientalism uh. that we would see in Temple of Doom um yeah. so unfortunately both of these movie franchises are not known for um aging well in regards to uh any cultural sensitivity especially Temple of Doom. Um, And Temple of Doom also suffers from, I think, the most Bond-like sexism that we actively see with the character, loose quotes around character, of Willy. Um, Because I'm sorry, they they did not write her or the young boy who I think they didn't know if he was supposed to be Chinese or Japanese based off of a lot of the dialogue. Um, well, you know, he's Asian. He's, he's just an <laughs> oh, Asian. Oh, okay. Sure. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess we'll just He's also that. 
He's also just here, and like, I don't, he doesn't like really react to the fact that the other sidekick just dies at the beginning of the film, which I will say that film feels like a Bond film when it opens up. Like, that is the one where you can tell that he just wanted to make a Bond film. To a fault. Um, He was getting divorced and he was pissed. (laughs) So we've gone through this timeline and we can see the influences and how they carry over. Bond himself is a forerunner to Indiana Jones and that's always been obvious the second that you look at it. So the question is... Since George Lucas had this idea, and when he had the idea, like, Indiana Jones was his thought baby, but the actual execution actually went over to Spielberg, who put Bond into this character. So what would Indiana Jones have looked like without Bond? Do we still think that based off of the entire existence of Pulp Fiction and and serials from earlier in decades, and Spaghetti Westerns for that matter, do we still think that we would have ended up with a similar character, or would he be drastically different? I don't know, because I, I think know that- That's like an impossible question to answer. I, I mean, like, I don't think he would exist without you his main influence. You think he just full stop would not be there? That's like saying, oh, do you think James Bond would exist if World War II had never happened? I don't know, because here's the I, thing. Like, it's like the main influence. No, I don't think anything would exist without its main influence. I, I actually kind of disagree on this. And the only reason why I disagree is because the original thought on Indiana Jones has been stated as being separate from Bond. I think that he would have existed, but I don't think that we would have seen the suave characteristics. I think that we probably would have seen something closer to a cowboy rather than like either a cowboy or a, a more academic type rather than this suave character that is clearly derived of Bond. Well, Clint Eastwood But I think he is very accurately an academic type and a cowboy. But I well, Clint think Eastwood that was like I don't even them. I also like I would argue that I think the bet so I think there's two things that uh Indiana Jones does that makes it better than James Bond. Okay. One is getting rid of gadgets. Uh, it just makes it timeless probably way better from like a production standpoint because you're not gonna it's set in the past so you don't have to worry about that which i i think is just like great um also being set in the past and and excluding temple of doom having like eastern block russian uh and german villains i just think generally i enjoy uh those type of villains a little bit more there's just there's just something about hating nazis that i love um, well, that also comes from uh, Spielberg. A lot. Yeah, of it, it comes from Spielberg. And, and look, it's an easy villain. It it doesn't take a lot for you to dislike Nazis, you know. And so it's a good choice. But I also think that uh, Indiana Jones is like, I don't think he's that suave. I think he's really awkward, and I think that's what endears you to him. Like he does have a suaveness about him, but I think for the most part, he's like awkward and kind of relatable in like he hates snakes like he has fears he has faults um i mean and he's also really like 
you know, it's Harrison Ford, so he's, he's hot. Like, what, so that, I guess that's where the suaveness is coming from, is just like Harrison Ford is a good looking person. That's um, fair. And does stunts. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's where, like, the main. Better than James Bond. There was, there was a producer, I cannot for the life of me remember who said this, but there was a movie producer who was big in the 80s that said that one of the key things about Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford portraying him um, that made him so likable to everybody is that he could take a punch. Like, he knew how to take a punch. Um, and what what he meant by that is that um, he gets the absolute shit kicked out of him in all three of these movies. I mean, in Temple yeah. of Doom, he has his heart almost ripped out of his chest, which is like both this most squeamish inducing scene in the entire series for me and also the more like huh it's like he gets battered and bloodied and bruised and fights people way bigger than him that he can only outsmart because he can't out punch them um meanwhile james bond is almost like uh ricky in trailer park boys where he's got a drink in his hand and, <laughs> and just shooting nazis or odd job or whatever and it's like so there's a lot more grounding in reality or as much as something like this can be grounded with indiana jones than there is to james bond which i will say one of my favorite parts of casino royale with daniel craig is uh when he gets poisoned and so we actually get to see him like almost die and he has to like go out to his car and get the uh i don't know anti-venom or the serum to reverse the poisoning yeah. i thought that was so good and again i mean it's just like do you want to watch somebody who's infallible or seemingly infallible i don't know i don't think that's as interesting and so i think that's why uh, indiana jones was so successful What's funny about that um, is now we're in the era of the Daniel Craig and the modern um, and the modern Bond. And as we discussed earlier, Bonds it, like had to race away from its silliness with Daniel Craig, and it's very much a um, it, it's very much a like born type movie. Now it always stays within the fast paced action and suspense. Um, hysterically. That scene with Daniel Craig is very reminiscent of the opening of Temple of Doom, which again is just Indy being poisoned. Again, it's for there's a lot of it that's for comedic effect, and it is extremely hokey in that. But it's something that we just never would have seen Bond do, and I do kind of like the I'm gonna just call this my head cannon that for some reason. Indiana Jones has now circled back to Bond and they decided to keep that vulnerability of Indiana Jones with Daniel Craig. I love too because uh, Harrison Ford got food poisoning when they were filming Raiders of the Lost Ark which bred the very famous scene where instead of fighting with the like swordsman in the market he just shoots him because he literally could not stop shitting himself. Uh, so they were like, what's an easy solution? And I mean, iconic. It's so funny. It's so amazing. I just love that in that scene, the way they played is Indiana Jones just, he, he just walks up and sees the guy in his face goes, you gotta be, I don't have time for this, man. <laughs> he's he's like, on. I gotta go to the bathroom again. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which, now that I know that, I'm never going to stop reading that uh, on that scene. (laughs) He legitimately is so tired and over it. So, I guess on that, I think we are kind of caught up to the modern day on this. Which kind of leads into one other question. And I I think that there's zero chance of this happening, but I do want to bring it up. Um, Again, 2023, there's going to be a new film. Uh, apparently they are keeping Harrison Ford. We have zero details on what this film is even going to be. But after a certain point, if you are taking after Bond, why, if you wanted to continue the character, is it possible to recast? Or is that blasphemy to recast Harrison Ford? Because we've already seen a recast of Harrison Ford bomb in the name of Solo. Um, I don't, you know, I I think James Bond is very, I'm sorry, I think Indiana Jones is very tied to the time period, um, in a way that James Bond is not, um, and I think it's good that James Bond is not, it's great that it's modern, so you can see all the modern technology, because that's a big part of James Bond. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think so, I, I feel like it's just not going to continue because you'd have to continue later into time. And I just, the spirit of Indiana Jones is that like, that like world war two time period. Yeah. Obviously like the one that they're going to be coming out with is, I guess after 1950s because uh crystal skull was set in the fifties. But uh, I mean, is crystal skull. Still I, yeah. I don't think so. I would like to say, I don't think so, but um, people love money and I'm looking here <laughs> Uh, Crystal Skull is the, it's number 46 in all time grossing domestic films. Number 46 of all films, domestically grossed number 46. Well, and so that's made probably a lot of fucking money. Um, so I think if there's even a scent that that would happen, if they continue, they're going to do it. That is fair. <gasps> Wait, hold on. Uh, they could just do Lego movies. <laughs> With Indiana Jones. I, okay, wait, hold on. They were Lego. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a brilliant fucking idea. Excuse me, Paramount, Lucasfilms. I I have have a pitch for you. I would like um, all of the movies recreated as Lego movies, please. Thank you. Uh, Could you imagine Temple Doom as a... Temple of Doom as a Lego movie? That might actually slap. Write the script to be better and then do it as a Lego movie. That would slap. I'm here for it. Matt, you had a point. Uh, going back to your original question, I think I think the thing to remember is that um, because James Bond was a series of books first that were ostensibly sequels to each other, but more anthro- anthological in nature, um, there's no like overarching story being told. It's just like separate serialized adventures. Um, and the lead actor was recast less than 10 years into the series. And so James Bond already kind of has a precedent of, um, switching over lead actors. So according to Wikipedia, one, two, three, four, five, six different people have played Bond live action. Um, and then there's all sorts of rumors about who's going to be doing it next. Um, Idris Elba, his name always pops up for them. Um, 
but the, that hasn't been the case with Indiana Jones. Yes, there was that young Indiana Jones TV show, um, Once Upon a Time. That also but, bombed. Um, I think Harrison Ford was kind of tied to that character in a way that not one person was to Bond. Because, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors into why Solo failed, but I also think part of it was... Uh, people were like well why would i say a han solo movie without harrison ford um especially given that they just killed him off two movies or however long it was prior to that but so i i don't know because some some of this stuff just kind of feels like nostalgia pandering at this point as opposed to just like trying to go forward with the uh, serialization um well yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, like, James Bond has always been set up to be, like, a serialized thing where you're, like, waiting for the next thing. Again, like Matt just said, you're not, it's not about the nostalgia of James Bond. It's about the new thing. Because you also have, um, we haven't even spoken once about music because the music for both of these franchises is unfucking believable But with every new Bond film, you get a new Bond song. They're, they've all been, I, I mean, like, incredible even in you know recent years it's pretty hard for a song from a movie to be played on the radio and make like top billboards but i feel like generally bond music does that um and then there's also like just being a bond girl and there's like the serialization with that and like kind of like glamorization around that so it's it's Bond could go on forever and I think people would be okay with that because that's like the deal like you know that's what you're getting meanwhile Indiana Jones will likely they'll dig it up a couple more times until Harrison Ford dies and then if Harrison Ford signs over his uh, his face to Disney which he has not done yet by the way, which I think is the only reason that, this ha- that hasn't happened, and this is the reason why all the video games here of uh, Han Solo looks totally fucking different. But when they eventually get his face, we will see a bunch of deep faked new movies from Disney. God. Because you know what? I hope if they do the world that, is they just dead. Go, I just hope they go animated route with it instead, so you can still use the image and just like have a different voice actor doing it, like just do animated tv shows and i've been saying that disney should be doing that for a long time because some of the live action deep fakes that they've been doing like especially with the star wars realm have been just kind of like off there's something uncanny valley about it but again we'll see exactly where that goes in the future so thanks for sticking around with us this was a fun conversation matt alex thanks for jumping on for this little bit we will be back next week and uh we're gonna be having a conversation about actually for the first time we're gonna be touching star wars but we're gonna be talking specifically about toxic fandoms which unfortunately we all know is the perfect avenue to talk about star wars with So stick around for that. That will be back in about two weeks and we'll see you next time. And bye. Hey, it's the return of the movie. Hey y'all, editor Jose here to thank you for watching this episode of the return of the movie. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, like, and stay tuned for the next video. You can also watch our last episode where we talked about Dungeons and Dragons and I'm in it. So go watch it. Uh, I'm not asking. Definitely go watch it.